Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach for Olympic Sports at Notre Dame University, Kyle Skinner. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode is with Kyle Skinner, who is the assistant SNC at Notre Dame for Olympic sports. So in a couple of days, Kyle is going to be taking part in the ACU Notre Dame Performance Summit, which has a focus of the performance team puzzle. So Kyle is on a panel with uh, a couple of other members of the men's lacrosse depart- performance department at Notre Dame. So with that in mind, in this episode, myself and Kyle discuss a lot around some of the things that maybe we wouldn't chat about in a podcast normally, um, things around logistics of where people are situated in um, in a performance department to uh, facilitate communication, what meetings look like, sound like, feel like, what people are getting out of their meetings, how often they are, how are the perf- people in the performance part department at Notre Dame working together. So it often comes up, like I said, we don't normally talk about this kind of stuff, but it does kind of go full circle. We, we chatted about this a lot of, um, a lot of, in a lot of episodes in the podcast, but now it seems to come around again how important this kind of, um, this kind of ch- these kind of chats are. So a really interesting and slightly different take on the episode today, but something that I'm sure you'll really enjoy and really get something out of. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by the University of Notre Dame, an Australian Catholic university who are excited to host their second annual Human Performance Summit. This year's focus will be on moving past the barriers that limit the integration of performance teams. So the Human Performance Summit, the performance team puzzle, will be held in the beautiful University of Notre Dame campus on Friday, June the 21st and Saturday, June the 22nd. Rather than hosting individuals to speak on generic topics, there's a focus on bringing in performance teams to speak on how they operate through success and failure. So each one of these presentations will be followed by an intimate question and answer portion and then tying everything together with a 90 minute practical session. It's something that I've spoke to loads of people about recently and people are finding less value in repeated presentations at conferences but more value in the conversations that go on the hallways. So both Friday and Saturday night, they'll be hosting an event on campus with activities geared towards sharing an organic discussion. And it was these events last year that proved to be the highlight of the conference. So if you're interested in getting to know more about the conference, I've put a couple of links in the show notes, which will take you to the presenter list and more information on the conference itself. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So I Measure You is used by leading biomechanist researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. So I Measure You recently released IMU Step, which is a dual sensor and app for lower limb load monitoring uh, and helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So unlike GPS, AMU Step focuses on lower limb musculoskeletal load and works via two very small synchronized high frequency tibia one sensors which quantify three things. The intensity of each step an athlete takes, precise left and right lower limb asymmetry and cumulative tibial load. 
So MSU is now part of Vicon and works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world. So if you want to get more information and know more about iMeasureU, head over to the website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Kyle Skinner. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I am delighted to welcome Kyle Skinner, who is the Assistant SNC for Olympic Sports at Notre Dame. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Well, thank you for having me on, Rob. Mm, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, I just want to, as always, every podcast and the procedure, just give us a bit of uh, info on your background, your education, and what you're currently doing at Notre Dame. Okay. Um, so a little bit about me. Let's see, this is my 10th year working in strength conditioning um, at Notre Dame. I am the strength conditioning coach responsible for the preparation of men's lacrosse and both men's um, and women's tennis. So um, that's that provides a lot on my plate as far as um, the sports responsibilities. Um, I travel with men's lacrosse, handle the you know the monitor gps monitoring for them as well um and then also again have the full-time responsibilities with both tennis teams um before i got to notre dame i spent a year with usa volleyball and worked with um tim polo and jimmy stitz again both unreal practitioners got to spend a lot of time learning from them and it was just a great experience i can't thank those guys enough for helping me get to this point um but um, before that, spent six years at Western Michigan University, a smaller mid-major school where I was responsible for seven sports and almost 200 athletes. So again, that was a little bit of a change from where I am now working with three sports or when I was with USA Volleyball working with just the two teams. Um, so again, there's there's differences at the college level of how, how much you can spend doing other things with your athletes other than just being on the floor. So that was a much more, you know, grind grind out your days work with the athletes again a great time but um that was, one of my time was coming towards an end there and i wanted to look for something different it was time for a change um education wise i got my undergraduate degree in exercise science from western michigan university was able to intern there with the football programs so that's what kind of started me down my path of strength and conditioning and then went on to get my master's degree from utah state university in physical education where i worked with um, football, women's basketball, men's, women's tennis, golf, and pretty much was on the floor for every other sport. Excellent. So collegiate sports always an interesting one for me because we just don't, obviously, as you know, we don't have the, the kind of system that you guys have um, over here. I'm just, I'm interested to know in terms of your your role coming from that smaller school where you're doing everything, like, like you mentioned, you're on the floor, you're dealing with 200 plus athletes, going to a situation where you're looking after a couple of different sports, but you're also traveling. So you've got other commitments as well. But how does how does the quality of your provision change in you know how, how you can go about doing your job from that smaller school with the hundreds or so athletes to what you're doing now? I think one of the big things that I've liked, and again, this is what I was looking for in this in the next position, was really being able to again dive deep in with a group of athletes. Um, so, with my position here at Notre Dame, I'm able to attend, especially for men's lacrosse, probably ninety 
plus percent of practices. Um, always there if I can be with the tennis teams. I try to get out there when I can, but I spend a lot of time with these athletes. So it allows me again to when I'm looking at these their individual needs, and I, you know, I think my programs, if you were to look at them, are always close to working primarily on the basics. But it allows those nuances to go in of this person. Can't, you know, needs to improve this, this these movement qualities, so we can spend a little extra time. When I get into the summer programs, when the athletes um, are even away from me, of just being able to, you know, contact them and really know who they are, whereas opposed to where at Western, you were only in the weight room. I didn't get to watch many practices, and that's a big part of you know just gaining a coach's trust of being out at practice and you know seeing what they're going through, being able to attend film sessions and really find out what they're looking for out of their athletes and how you can potentially affect that physical uh, you know development to to help that athlete become better at their actual sport. So coming from that smaller school where you didn't have that that communication and, and or potential for communication with them coaches when you did come into your current position it did have were afforded a little bit more time to be able to do that what were your first conversations with the coaches and how did you kind of bridge that gap from from being in the weight room and, and with the team onto with the with the technical coaches you know i think the big thing for me is i always start i mean i want to again they're experts at what they do our lacrosse coach has been at notre dame for um, three, you know, 31 seasons, um, going on to his 32nd. And I want to know what they're looking for. I want to know what they, what they value, um, within their team, what they've done before, what they feel have been successes on, you know, in conjunction with S and C for the physical development, where there's been failures, what, you know, what led to those things and really gain an idea of, again, who they are as a person and a coach, because I think if you start with that and you start asking questions and rely on their expertise as opposed to coming in and telling them exactly what you think they should be doing, you know, you're always going to have better results. Um, same with the tennis coaches of, you know, again, I worked with tennis in my, you know, graduate school years, but it's getting back and just being able to again, show up to practices and really watch. And once they see that you're interested in, that development of their athletes outside of just being in the weight room, you get a lot more buy-in from those coaches. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you are, before I forget, you are speaking at the ACU Notre Dame conference in a couple of weeks. So that is the, I'm just going to look on the calendar. That's 22nd and 23rd. Is that right? Um, 21st and 21st and 22nd. We're a Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday. So, do you just want to give us a bit of an overview of, of your role um, at, at the conference and what you're going to be, the panel that you're going to be um, speaking on? Yeah. So again, um, the, the theme of our conference this year is the performance team. And what we're trying to do around that is really talk about, again, this this idea of how do you interact around the sport, whether it, when, you know, in the interactions between the strength and conditioning sports medicine, whether, you know, athletic training, um, and our sports dietitians, again, everybody who has, who plays a part with these athletes and their development of how do you really work with each other? What are success, six, what creates a successful team? What maybe hinders a successful team? Um, and how you go about handling your daily base, your, your daily business around those, around those sports so that those athletes get that full support. And I, so I think what we're, we're going to talk about how we do things 
at Notre Dame within the scope of men's lacrosse, but I think this goes across the board. It's something that's been really set up by our, our director, Mike Zimborski, and the, and his um, his athletic director over him, Mike Carity, of really focusing on creating these performance teams to where we know what's going on with our athletes. We can, you know, whether it be injury, um, what they're going through nutritionally, we've, we're starting to add more and more sports psychology around that. And then a lot of my teams also, when we do a performance team meeting, we involve our athlete, our um, academics advisors. So we're able to see, again, the stresses that are really going into that app that athlete's day and how that may affect their their physical side. So we're going to talk about how we deal with that, what are some strategies we use to cope with that. That's really interesting. There's loads of stuff that we're going to chat about on the back of that theme um, of the, the performance team. But in terms of involving the academics, what insight, what extra insight can they give? I've not, I've not come across that before, and it seems logical that the people who are interacting with these with these guys and girls are involved in the um, in the process uh, as well. So what extra info do you get from the academics who are seeing these these bo- um, girls and, and guys uh, on a regular basis? I mean, I think the big one. I mean, first off, is just figuring out um, Notre Dame as again has it. We have a very strict schedule as far as we're not going to be like some of our bigger state schools where we can't offer just the number of degrees. So our, our schedules end up becoming very rigid where everybody's in class at the same times. You know, when when a department decides to hold a departmental exams, those are always going to hit a large group of our athletes. So just figuring out the weeks that they're going to be under really, really high stress as far as exams, whether that be, pro, you know, also in addition to that projects and being able to plan that out and, you know, not necessarily change things, but remind our athletes that this is also, you know, just part of being a Notre Dame athlete. Um, but again, it allows us to at least acknowledge that stress coming from that area. Um, and it's a big part of, I think, you know, preparing a college athlete is really knowing exactly what they're going through. You know, the week before we are in our, um, um, the NCAA first rounds for lacrosse, we know that's going to be exam week and we have to plan accordingly around that. Nice. So so one of the things that we planned to talk about was something that I probably started to think about quite a bit a few a few years ago when I was working in football was the logistics around where people were situated from a office point of view, where people did their work and how that facilitated or didn't facilitate the interaction and the communication between different departments. Is that something that you guys have have been um, aware of and, and, and tried to manipulate so you do allow them conversations and then meetings to, in, maybe informal and formal meetings to happen more regularly and more effectively? You know, I don't know if we've ever talked purely based on facility, but one of the nice things is um, all of our all of our athletics are pretty centrally located at Notre Dame. Um, we don't have many spots that are way away from campus outside of our rowing team that needs to get on the river when they're going. But um, one of the things I think we just try to, as a staff, do is try to create these you know, bump in type of situations when again we have weekly meetings set up usually within our, our sports performance teams and the, within their specific sport, but also just informal things of, you know, we have athletic trainers who want to work out. So it's nice that they come into our weight rooms that allows situations where we can have informal conversations about what's going on with those teams, you know, making sure that we stop by and, you know, maybe bring a coffee 
to our athletic trainers. Um, but, you know, I think that when I think of my time with um, USA Volleyball, having the athletic training room connected right to the the gym was, I mean, an amazing opportunity to always have everyone on the same page because you're kind of forced to by location. So I think that's a, a great way of looking at it. If we could ever center each person around, you know, who they work with in the same facility, that'd be amazing. So in terms of the meetings that you guys have, is that on a, is that a weekly basis? Is that a daily basis? I mean, the, the more formal meetings I'm talking about? So the more formal meetings, it really depends on the sport coach, but a lot of the sports have started to move towards more weekly style meetings just to get everybody on the same page, talk about logistics of the schedule. Um, and then again, there's tons of informal meetings that happen around that. But when we get together, it's usually the sport administrator, all the, the sport coaches, their, their SNC, their sports medicine person, and if the dietitian can make it because they're spread a little bit, then they're they're there. And then if the team also utilizes sports psych, they they potentially could be involved as well. So I've been involved in the, the um, probably the two ends of the spectrum where the the meetings take place. I mean, we used to have a short um, morning meeting every day, and then a, a bigger weekly meeting at the at the start of the week. And they were in one scenario seen as a um, a chance to chat and just talk about the weekend, talk about the the, the, the weekend's game. And then there was the other uh, side of the coin for, for for the other coach who really wanted to kind of deep dive into almost each individual athlete and, and where they're at um, in terms of their preparedness and their their performance on the weekend, how that will affect them this week. What kind of are you somewhere in the middle? Where where do you sit on that continuum, and what is actually discussed at these meetings? Just so I can try to tease out um, something that people could really kind of visualize what what's going on these yeah. in these meetings. Um, so I think that really it depends on the sport. So for men, men's lacrosse, we're not we may not talk about every individual athlete. We carry fifty two guys on the team, but we're really going to have a breakdown of okay, Mandy, what are our injury updates? Um, so she can go through all of those. Okay, Kyle, what's the strength that you did? Like, what are you planning on doing with the guys? Um, how, especially if they're injured, how are we changing those things? What can we work on in practice? You know, if, if the coach wants to have them in certain periods of practice, what could we maybe do outside of that? And Mandy and I will have that conversation with the coach in that meeting about, you know, they can they can do the technical parts of practice, but when we get into these really physical areas, let's have them come off to the side so that they can do some just you know um, energy system development at that time and maintain their place, um, maintain their fitness level so that they can return. Where when we're talking about maybe a tennis team where we only have ten to fourteen athletes, we can really sit down and we'll talk about each individual athlete. Maybe if again if the academic side is bringing up certain individual athletes and what they're going through, we can talk about how we might want to, you know, alter their schedule or change things so that those athletes aren't getting, you know, burning the candle at both ends with athletics and academics. Um, so it really depends on the coach and, um, again, the size of the team as well of how in-depth you go with each individual athlete. So in terms of the modification of training for certain individuals, how do you go about communicating that to coaches and still allowing them to obviously do their job and and, and commit to their, the plan that they have, but also be sympathetic with the, the individual needs of the athlete? And has your approach to that changed? over the years or is that changed because of certain situations and how it's been handled? What's the kind of thinking around that? 
I mean, my personal philosophy on that is I just want, I, I never want to see an athlete have gaps in their training. I mean, I think we all know that gaps lead to other issues. Um, you know, we don't want them to become deconditioned. So that's really starts with that discussion of the coach of, okay, if the athlete is out, where one do they fit on their roster as far as need? If they're, you know, a starter, um, then we are going to try to obviously find times to make sure that they gain the fitness, but they also need to be involved in the technical planning um, and learning if we're installing something new for that game. So they may need to be involved in those periods. And then we'll talk, Mandy and myself um, in sports medicine, we'll sit down and we'll go, okay, how much work does this athlete need based off of, you know, if we're doing our catapult GPS or if we're, um, you know, the load monitoring that way, um, what, what work do they need to fit, again, the profile of athlete that they are on the field? And then how can we take steps backwards from there to give them plan B activities? And that's always kind of been my philosophy with the with any athlete. I try to talk to them about when they have an injury, you know, we're still going to train. We're still going to work you towards the end goal of whatever we have for that athlete. But we're going to have to find different routes how to do it. And again, if you can explain that to the athlete, usually they're pretty bought in and the coaches are bought in because they see that athlete get back on the field and be ready to go as opposed to having to do this, you know, rehab, then reconditioning, then, you know, long drawn out process. So let's have a little chat around the injury process of what happens when a guy or girl gets injured on the field or on the court. What's that process look like from there in terms of the collaboration that happens throughout the, um, with the athletic trainers, with the potentially psychologist and how you as a strength and conditioning coach are obviously involved in that process as well? So I think obviously there's a, it depends on the level of the injury that the athlete sustains. Um, you know, there's the initial diagnosis by our sports med staff. We're then going to have a formal discussion um, of the timeline that they're anticipating for that athlete and who is going to be the primary person responsible for that time period. So if it's an early rehab situation where it's maybe going to be driven by, you know, the athletic trainer physio, they're going to lead that. But they may talk about, okay, here are some supplemental things that we think we could do um, away from that to continue that development of that athlete. Here's the point where we see the transition happening, Kyle, where you're starting to take over more of um, you know, that late stage rehab, getting them back to field ready. And then we're going to start talking again, depending on if it's, and this is where I think having academics involved is huge. If it's something that's going to affect their ability to either get to class or perform in class, that that conversation's happening right away and not on the back end. And then as well as we're going to pull in the dietitians, and if there's something that they can prescribe, some kind of protocol, um, that starts happening right away with that athlete. So like last year, and there's a specific case I can think of. So we had a kid, and this doesn't really involve rehab, but he actually broke his jaw. Um, so he got wired shut and, you know, working with our dietitians, we were able to maintain his weight pretty well. It is, and he really only missed a couple of days and was able to play through our championship season with a broken jaw and be able to perform at a pretty high level. Kanye West style. Yeah, he was, he was drinking things through a straw that I would have never thought of even putting in a blender. Um, so that was, it was pretty amazing. And actually for him, um, I won't name him just so that uh, we can keep that, that um, you know, or I guess, you know, our privacy with the, each athlete's individual cases. But I mean, he also it sparked really a nutritional change for him and opened him up to a lot of things. He was, you know, the typical college kid who could eat whatever he wanted. 
and get away with it. And it's really sparked a positive change after that moment. So again, having the different groups involved, I think, aided in that process. It's been nice to have a little chat. It's set me up perfectly for the nutrition side of things. How do you work with your nutritionist? Um, as, well, specifically on the injury side of things, and at what point on that continuum is? I mean, I know it's going to depend on the length of the yeah. the rehab. But where, at what point does the nutritionist come in? Are they there from the start to to, to work with this? work with the athlete right away so you know again obviously depends on the injury but we try to involve them as much as we possibly can um you know it starts out usually just with with a total team introduction and they'll talk to them and each individual athlete can set up times with them to go over their their specific needs but if an injury happens we're going to get them involved because if it's something that you know affects their ability let's say to um let's say they hurt a lower body they have a lower body injury um, and we are, they're an athlete that unfortunately the moment they are held out of training starts, you know, losing weight. We can talk to them about, again, what are, what are the things that this athlete can do um, and make sure that they are able to maintain the muscle mass that they have on the nutrition side, as well as whatever plan B training we have to do. Um, and we always are going to want to back, we, we back them up 100% and whatever they're talking to the athlete, but it's really about also getting that athlete just to feel supported by each group and know that they have the resources here and that we can utilize them. I mean, a lot of athletes at the college setting, you know, you rely on your, your youth to get through, but we really want to make them feel supported and know that they have a team behind them that's going to help them achieve whatever they want to achieve during their college time. Mm-hmm. How important is it for you to have them, other stakeholders who are involved, i.e. Uh, athletic trainers, nutritionists, actually in and around the gym while the guys and girls are, are, are doing a lift um, or injury prevention? How important is that for you rather than keeping it like a strength and conditioning yeah. domain? I mean, I think it's huge. I, if you don't have everybody on the same page and, you know, giving that exact, that same message to our athletes, that's where things start breaking down, especially if they start hearing things from other areas that, uh, you know, just don't mesh with what you're either trying to teach those athletes or if, um, you know, they just, somebody creates basically doubt in that athlete's mind. You know, we want to have open discussions with them and let them know that we're, we're talking, we, we are together on the same page, just like we expect them to be on the same page with the rest of their teammates and their coaches. And that again, we're working towards this common goal. So if we don't, ref- if we don't do that, how can we expect them to do it? So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Kyle. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, some really interesting chats around the presentation of data, the um, the availability of data and how that's presented to athletes and how that differs from when Kyle was at, in his previous role to where he is now at Notre Dame with um, incredibly intelligent student athletes and how they can deal with um, or may not be able to or may be able to deal with um, the data that is presented to them and, and how we how we decipher that data and present that in a way that is um, that is digestible for these student athletes. As well in part two, we just discuss more around the collaboration uh, within the performance team at Notre Dame. So hopefully a really interesting part two coming up. 
But just before we do get into part two of the podcast with Kyle, I want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are a performance gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. But they do projects all over Europe, all over, um, including places like Dubai, uh, the UK, France, Spain, wherever it may be. Black Box are doing projects there. So if you're looking at adding to the provision that you've already got, whether it be bars, bumper plates, dumbbells, etc., make sure you check out Black Box. Or even if you're looking to completely revamp your facility, definitely have a little look at Black Box and some of their uh, recent projects. So you can see them on their Twitter and their Instagram pages at BLK Box Fitness or visit their website for more information uh, blkboxfitness.com Also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. And in terms of building them programs on the injury risk reduction um, side of things, how are you working with the athletic trainers to pull together a program um, for, for each individual that, that caters for their needs? How are you, obviously, that they've got their thought process of how they may go about things you've got yours mm-hmm. you're pulling together in so you are pulling in the same direction to actually get pen to paper and give this athlete or every athlete um something that fits for them and everyone's happy with so one thing we started with this year um myself and the michelle trincali our women's um, lacrosse strength coach we kind of work together to create a with our athletic train both of our athletic trainers um just an intake process around we already did biodex testing for our our freshman athletes but making sure that we have baseline tests across the board so whether it be the biodex the force plate a nord board test change of direction um you know a speed linear speed test of really creating baseline so that we have an idea if an injury does occur where that athlete was first when they came and if again there's a red flag initially we all are on the same page of knowing what that is and then we can just start creating that discussion about what that individual what individual intervention needs to take place um but then two if both of us with us having this information working together we can have we can use the same common language if we both know that this person has a you know a deficit during their eccentric you know deceleration impulse on the force plate during their jump on their right side we can again start with that and that actual objective data and then work backwards from there to address the things that they need and then again 
having that understanding that each person has their expertise and creating, again, that program together as opposed to me just saying, I'm going to do what I need to do with that athlete. This will get them better. And then the athletic trainer either not being on board with that or working against it by doing something that they think is correct and we've never talked to each other. How important is so with that relationship, especially with the athletic trainer in terms of injury reduction, how how important is objective data for you guys? So there is that clear well, it's a it's a number and within reason the numbers don't lie. Yeah. Um so how how important is that in terms of the collaboration between you and the athletic trainer? I think for both of us it's it's very, very big. We wanna make sure that we're not returning an athlete to sport before they're ready. So again, if we have somebody who we, you know, they might look okay on the field when the, you know, they, they found a way to compensate for whatever has been going on, whether if they're, whether they're rehabbing from an injury or just have something going on day to day, but we can, we have numbers to back that up to really show that out that, yeah, you might feel ready, but we still need to take this little bit of time so that we can put you on the field being who you actually like do being able to do what you really need to do so that you're not back with us in another week because you've sustained another injury. How much, um, how much, what's the word, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, empowerment are you giving to the athletes in terms of their rehabilitation, their, their prehab or I don't like the word prehab, but in, injury risk reduction protocols and things like that. How much are you handing it, handing back over to them in their in terms of their responsibilities? As far as the actual protocol, or just um, how they do, like how they go about their their scheduling of it. Sorry, I'm. I suppose I suppose both really. Yeah. You know how much how much are you? I mean, I know they're at college, so they're yeah. getting taught in in lessons how to do things and and what to do. But does that kind of change when they come into your environment they're a little bit freer in terms of how they go about things and they have may have a few more choices or is that quite constrained in what they do how they do it i think again it depends on where they are if it's a rehab setting where they are in the process as they get further away from the initial injury and getting closer back to the field i mean i'm gonna rely on that athlete to give me a lot of feedback especially if they're getting very like a let's say if we're looking at some kind of asymmetry index, if they're kind of toting that line where they've been inside what we call a safe zone for like a couple of tests, but out back outside and they're kind of hovering around that line, I'm going to give them a little bit more input to see how they're feeling on those days as well. I think Mandy does an excellent job of communicating with her athletes and getting them to, you know, really tell her how they're feeling and having, again, that kind of relationship to where they're not, they don't have a idea in their head of like, okay, this answer will allow me to do this sooner. They're going to give her an actual answer. So I think that part, we give them a lot. If it's early though, I'm going to tell them, Hey, this is what we need to do. Um, we need to hammer this down because if we don't get this done, it doesn't allow us to do that at a later point. Um, but it's, it's for me, I, I want the athlete to have a good amount of say in their training. Um, you know, right now we're getting out our summer programs, you know, this is all a, in by NCAA rule, this is a, um, you know, optional training period for our athletes. But what we do is we sit down and we set goals with the coaches, um, and really look at, okay, like this is the area we think if this kid makes this physical improvement, he has a better shot at getting on the field. So I talk to each athlete individually. So just getting on the phone with them, um, whether it be a, you know, a 15 to 30 minute conversation and then talk to them also about what they feel would be, 
would benefit them best. And then I try to, you know, work with them on their program because I think if they're going to be, especially on their own, I want them to have some ownership of this because I also want them to know if, if something isn't available to them, how do they know they know the ways to actually make those changes without needing me every single moment. So when, when them guys and girls are away from you in this, in this kind of optional period, are they, they're training on their own or they may have a coach, but they're away from you guys. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, we, so for basically once the season ended, which was a week before for us, the week before Memorial Day, Memorial Day would be the national championship game. They then have, if you're coming back on campus, you have about two more weeks until you're, you can have a, we have a summer semester that they're able to, um, to be on campus and train for. Um, if not, we have a lot of athletes involved in summer internships, um, you know, pre-professional work so that they can get a job once they're done. And we, we place a lot of value into that of that these athletes aren't just here for their sport. You know, they're getting prepared to go out of it, but they're away and we have to, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that again, they, they're going to be on their own. So I need to do the things to get them prepared to be able to train on their own. And how, how are you, how are you ensuring that you're, I don't mean like a, a big brother scenario, but how are you tracking yeah. what they do away f- when, when they're away from you guys, apart from just the, the phone calls and the conversations, anything more objective that you, you can get from these guys while they're away. So this is actually an ongoing conversation right now. Um, I think the NCAA is trying to figure out where that line is going to be drawn. Um, you know, we can talk about wearable technologies that you could, you know, whether it be, you know, something like a an HRV band that you're putting on your athletes and able to check if they're actually doing their workouts. Um, I tend to rely a lot on just being able to discuss with the athletes. I think, again, we're, we're not sure where this line is going to be drawn and which side is going to fall on. So i rather get them prepared to train without something than get them reliant on a technology that I can tap into and then that's going to go away. But, I mean, this is where, too, I think we talk about leadership development a lot at the college level. And this is where I want to see our upperclassmen take that that first step. So if you're talking about a junior going into their senior year, um, and we want them to be leaders on the team. This is their time period to really start establishing that because they're the ones who can really be freely talking amongst each other about their training, how it's going, what they need to be doing, and really guiding those younger guys on our team. So in terms of this wearable tech situation, where is it at the minute? Can you give them anything but in the NCAA are looking at drawing a line somewhere, or is there already a line at the minute? As of right now, as far as I'm aware, there is no line. You could potentially, again, it's a, this is an optional period, so they could share their information. I know coaches who have used Google Docs um, to input training feedback, um, whether it be that or if they're using heart rate monitors while they train, you know, having competitions with their athletes. But again, it's got to be completely optional. We can't mandate it. So if all of a sudden we were to be taking information, we cannot report that back to the sport coach and be like, oh, this person has not trained for the last two days, um, that would be a violation. So you can collect that and advise the athlete, but that cannot go anywhere else? Yes. And that's only, again, if the athlete is willing to share it. And so right now people are trying to decide because, again, where do you draw that line um, of trying to almost dictate the athlete's entire day um, when they should be still, I guess, able to, you know, have some time for their own personal development outside of athletics.
Mm-hmm. So where, where does the lines? Where where is the line in terms of the the data that's collected in the periods where they are on site and they are training? Like in terms of like GPS data, that's freely available and that that's freely available to be shared amongst coaches, amongst staff, amongst players. Is that right? Yeah. Then the, once they're um, back in in session and we have what are called countable hours, all that data can be used. Um, we can we can we can share with the athletes with the coaches. I'm big on certain like you know certain data. I think um, I like our athletes to be able to see it, but I also want to watch out for comfort, either confirmation biases um, or even creating anxiety if things aren't going well. You know when we would. I think some of the things we always think of is, you know, sleep monitoring with our athletes. And I like, obviously, I want to increase their their sleep hygiene and try to get them to understand that there's, that why sleep is important and how it aids their recovery. But I also need them to be able to perform during an exam week where they might only be getting four hours of sleep. So it's always kind of interesting you know, back and forth conversation I have with myself of how much data should be shared. Um, I mean, it's their data. So I'm, if they ask for it, I'm going to give it to them. But um, again, when you have people that are very, very driven and very, very, you know, data-based that can create people who, when, when all of a sudden they see that the data is not pointing in the right direction, don't have good performances. This was exactly the conversation that I had with Shona Halson two days ago, who's also <laughs> speaking at the uh, ACU Notre Dame conference. Um, really interesting chat with her. But um, in terms of the oh, – I was going to say um, – so what, what I was going to say, and this is not – this is completely uh, another direction, but one thing I was going to chat about was the um, you understanding and relaying messages back onto onto athletes in terms of the data but in terms of demands of the sport and how important it is for you to like you said about the catapult gps is that something that's that inclusion that's something that's enhanced the program and in terms of how the kids kids guys and girls um, the athletes how they respond to the data i'm guessing you've got you've got really clever uh, athletes there obviously a uh, yes. university like you, you have how in tune are they um with that data i'm guessing because the the young people they like having data like that having ipad they like having numbers and something objective is that something that stands strong for, for the guys at, and girls at your place you know it's one where um i think uh, there, some some of our athletes are very very interested in the data that we're taking or collecting and how we're how we're affecting their programs um I think one of the things that I try to do is actually just educate them on why we're doing what we're doing and how that can affect their training so that they they don't become, again, they know why we're doing it. They know what we're doing. Um, but I also, again, try to educate them on how, like, sometimes when we look at our GPS, our close defenders in lacrosse have a very different positional demand than our, than our, our midfielders who do a lot more of big runs. And just if you were to look at something simple on the catapult, like a player load, or even uh, like if we're looking at the high velocity or high intensity running, they're never going to have that because they don't get into spaces large enough to actually get into those bands. So if all of a sudden we're looking at all this data and we're telling them a high intensity running is an important thing. And some of them may even look up research articles and be like, Oh, I just read this and it's really cool that you guys are doing it. 
where do I sit in this spectrum? And I, then it's like, okay, well, you're just, you're in different positional demand. We're going to have some metrics that are going to be different for you. Don't attach yourself to, oh, this guy did so much, you know, zone, zone six running today. Well, that's what his, that's what his position is. That's yeah. not yours. Yeah. Completely understand. Yeah, it was something that I, it was a chat. I'm, I'm coming back now to what I actually was going to say. Um, it's a private facility over there in the States that a guy I was chatting with who's who's a coach over there. And he was saying how different it is working with the, the older end athletes compared to the younger end and how receptive they are to, um, to that data and having an iPad in front of them is kind of what they're used to and what they expect almost rather than a yeah. presented with a pen and paper. So that's, yeah, that's where I was going. That's where I got a little bit tongue tied. Um, but I just, just to round up, um, Kyle, in terms of the, uh, the conference. So when this goes out, it'll be a couple of days before where's yeah. the, where's the best place where people can, um, can, can get on and, uh, and, and book. Yeah. So we have our own webpage. We, um, through, ACU. Um, sorry, one second. Let me pull it up for you. If you if you just if you Google the Notre Dame ACU Human Performance Summit, where the the performance um, team puzzle, and I can, if you guys if you could attach, I'll um, I can also connect a link to or I send a link to you. But um, absolutely. But we have a page for the conference. It's um, again pretty simple. It has. You know what we're talking about it has our schedule on there. You can register, and it'll connect you right to a pay site. Um, along with that, um, and you can book everything through that. Um, again, we have both um, general entry. If you're an alumni of um, ACU or Notre Dame, you get a discount, and we have also a student price um, that um, it has a, a discount as well. Um, one of the big things too is on the on the last day of our conference, ACU will be holding one of their intensive days. So if you're a person who's looking to potentially get a master's or beyond in um, sport performance, you know they have one of those set up that you could try if you're local in the states and are looking at their online programs. And out of interest, are the the presentations recorded, and can people get? hold of them afterwards or get hold of last year so we're kind of exploring that right now we have we, we keep the presentations and they're primarily for the um acu and notary if we if we have people on our staff or interns we allow them but that's something that we're kind of exploring going forward if we want to either release those or maybe do a simulcast um and have people be able to um be involved online okay Sweet. And if anyone's got any questions, Kyle, off the back of anything that we've talked about or any questions about the conference or if people listen after the conference, what the conference was like, yeah. which I'm sure it'd be fantastic. Um, where, what's the best place for people to contact you? All right. So my, my email they can always get a hold of is um, K-S-K-I-N-N-E, the number one, at nd.edu. Um, and again, I'm... I can't always say that I'll be the quickest with a response. I try to always at least send an initial email that I that I've I've received your email or your question, and I will be back to you as I as soon as I can. But I definitely like again. I, I think interaction in our field is huge, and we learn so much when we get even questions about what we do. Because I think you always have to ask the question of why you're doing what you're doing, and is it the right thing? Because I think sometimes we. You know, it's easy to think we're doing everything we possibly can, but, you know, somebody else might have an idea that really can bring something to the table. Of course. And are you on Twitter, Kyle, as well? 
I am. I am. Actually, wow, this is bad. I don't That's use right. Twitter. Um, <laughs> I think it may be something similar to your it's very, email address. It's very, yeah, it's a K6 Skinner nice. um, is my, my Twitter handle. And I actually really, thinking back, I don't know why that's my Twitter handle. That <laughs> <probably should> <laughs> no, that's all good. So if people want to reach out, email, and you've listed your email or, or Twitter. And, uh, yeah, that would be touch, great. People can get in touch and have a chat. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Kyle. Good luck at the conference. I'm sure it'll go an, it'll go an absolute storm. And uh, we'll keep in touch and chat soon. Well, thank you again, and thanks for having us. Pleasure. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for tuning in to episode 245 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Kyle for giving up his time in a very busy period for him leading up to the conference. But And if you are interested in jumping on the conference in a couple of days, all the links are in the show notes. Um, which are in iTunes, in Spotify, and over on the website, strengthofscience.com. So big thanks to I Measure You, Hawking Dynamics, Black Box Fitness, and of course, the guys at ACU Notre Dame, who are bringing the amazing conference in a couple of days over at Notre Dame University. So thanks for tuning in, thanks for your support, and I will chat to you next week.